Alright, so our scripture for today comes from John chapter 20, uh, and it begins at verse 19 and finishes around, well, not around, at verse 31, okay? So John chapter 20, verse 19 to 31, and it starts with saying, Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, not Jesus, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen And yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. So, right off the top, I have something to get us all thinking about straight away, okay? Are we ready? Yeah, there's one ready. That was Karen. So that's not, it's not overly in. <laughs> Everyone except Karen who has to say, no, you don't have to say yes. Are we ready? Yeah, yeah. Well, you better hope you are. This, this part's not too bad, okay? I'm not trapping you into anything. This is just an, a, something weird to understand. Not even weird. We have never lived at any time other than the time after Easter. Does that make sense? We have never lived at any time other than the time after Easter. We have heard the accounts of what happened, but we weren't there. We don't have any actual physical or tangible experience to draw on from the historical event. We did not see, hear, or touch any part of the story as it happened. We have never lived at any time other than the time after Easter. But guess what? The impact of Easter is no less significant and remains as true today as it did back then. Whether we missed Easter celebrations in church this year or not, we all on somewhat of a technicality, so I'm pulling at strings here, missed Easter by some 2,000 years. But that doesn't separate us from the reality and the impact of the moment, does it? Whether we actively chose to celebrate and consider what Easter meant for ourselves, the fact is that Jesus died for us, 
And that means that now we have a choice to make. To live a resurrected life made possible through the sacrificial love of Christ and what that did for us or not. To live a resurrected life made possible through the sacrificial love of Christ and what that did for us and what that meant or not. Just because we missed being a part of a grand spectacle or a huge event does not mean that it didn't happen or that it wasn't significant or relevant to us. And I can think back on so many historical events that have shaped this world that I had no physical or in-person part of that still impact my life. And you may be able to think of some yourself. Now, we're coming up to Anzac Day, and so just thinking about that, this is just one example of a significant event that has had worldly impact that we all experience the effects of. Does it make it more believable to us simply because it happened under 100 years ago rather than some 2,000 years ago? So what is, what, what is that? We celebrate the worldly freedoms that we have as a result of such conflicts, but what about the eternal freedoms that we've been given through Christ? So church, that's each of us here. Instead of getting lost in these post-Easter blues, consider the very personal blessing that is the whole essence of this historical event. Given what Easter means to us as followers of Christ, this day and every day is still meant to be the time for joyous celebration. Last week, you'd remember those that were here with us on Sunday, we had party blowers and party poppers and egg shakers to celebrate every time we heard the words... He is risen, there we go. And we had a little bit of fun with that, didn't we? We were blowing party poppers and blowing the thing to the point where like, it didn't even matter if we said he is risen or not, we were celebrating at the most randomest of times. We had a great time celebrating our risen Christ. But do we carry that energy and passion with us daily or even just each week in worship? Even one week later. How is our Christ-given freedom actually coming out in our own lives? And if it isn't, we have to sit there and ask ourselves, why not? Why not? Because we can't go placing our Jesus, the very guy who died for us, back in the tomb, losing sight of the light and joy that he provided to us all through his death and resurrection. Our response our attitudes and the way that we carry ourselves directly dictate where we have gone and placed Jesus in our own lives. So where have we placed him? So our resurrected Christ or back in the tomb? The message of our risen Christ must be grabbed hold of and held close to ourselves. We need to let it personally impact our lives. It, and because it will be a life like you never ever knew existed, Personally, but I feel God more so wants to see energized followers of Christ in worship, in ministries, in the way that we go about our general days for the sake of our own lives and our attitudes impacted, our inner selves impacted, our understanding of our own self as well in the eyes of Christ impacted, our thoughts towards others who everyone you see is a child of God impacted. I don't think God wants to look down at his people and see blank faces, glazed over eyes, 
bad attitudes, hearing gossip and negativity within the followers of Christ. I believe he's tired of division because Christ broke all that down when he gave his all. He gave his life for each and every one of us. So in that sense, when we remember the story of Easter and the curtain tearing in two, that division taken away from understanding Christ and having intimate relationship with him, why are we putting back up that curtain? Why are we placing our Jesus back in the tomb? Are we simply trying to stop the light of God from coming in? Are we trying to put up a barrier up against God saying, you're not welcome here? It's harsh, but the questions we have to ask for ourselves if we're to grow into the love that God, Christ gave for us when he sacrificed his all. Before Jesus' crucifixion, he actually prayed that his disciples would be one in unity. And in John 17, so we're going back a couple of chapters here, verse 20 to 23, he prayed for that unification of his disciples. Honestly, we could see this prayer of Jesus as the great unanswered prayer, but that's, that's not right at all. All believers are indeed one. We are united with Christ and therefore we are united with each other. But what is often lacking is the practical outworking of that unity. Here's a question for you. When was the last time someone died for you? Actually died for you. When you hear a story about someone who heroically put their life at risk to save a child from drowning, or the person who decided to donate an organ to save someone, what is the result for that saved person? Karen the other night was sitting on the couch and she was reading a news article story about a man who uh, almost lost his life to a hippo attack, where he was grabbed in and the story describes it as if he was ragdolled around like a dog with a toy, but to the point where if it wasn't for the help of some, his own sense of wanting to save himself as well, but if it wasn't for the sake of some of the friends around him, helping and putting their own lives at risk, that he wouldn't have experienced life anymore. But when was the last time we experienced anything like that for ourselves? And if we did, and when we think about these stories like that, where someone has come in and put their own life at risk for ourselves, or given their all to help save that child from drowning, or gone into a, a burning building and save someone and unfortunately lost their life as a result what is the result for that person who is saved what is the response from the family I would say it's never forgotten it's impactful it's life-changing in that very moment now hear this hear this the moment Christ died on that cross for you and for me the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom and we're not talking about a shear that we have in our house. The sheer size of that curtain was absolutely enormous. But do you know what was even bigger? The message behind the tearing of this curtain was, and it remains still bigger than that curtain. It was and it remains pivotal to our relationship with Jesus, becoming intimate and personal and most importantly, direct. Jesus is still risen and that will never change, amen? He is risen. It's not a secret. 
we celebrate and reflect on this moment in history every single year, and we call that Easter, right? We celebrate it every single year. The importance of Easter, though, is that it impacts us daily, is that it impacts us ongoing. It impacts us moment after moment and thought after thought. It is about changing hearts, changing minds, changing lives. And we cannot let our actions and our attitudes for what his death and resurrection brought for us make us look like we're still grieving, that we've put Jesus back in the tomb. We have revelation of a risen Christ. We have revelation of a risen Christ. So how are we showing this to others? If people see us and know us to be followers of Christ, oh, they go to church. What does that then look like to them? Why would others want to know more about Jesus? Because it's not about any one of us. Why would others want to know more about this Jesus guy if it doesn't even look like an exciting part within our own lives? These questions have to be asked. At some point, we have to fully surrender ourselves to Christ and let our lives be directed by his ways. We need to get on our knees and thank him for what he did for us and then say thank you for our actions as well, how that impacts our lives. To lead others to Christ, we must serve Christ through the example that he provided to us. It goes back to, and I remembered whilst putting this together for today, it goes back to that analogy that Karen shared recently about the chocolate cake. Do we remember that? If not, I'm going to tell you again. Shared recently about the chocolate cake, and here, I have some chocolate cake. Look, it's all right. I guess there's some left over. Did you want some? It doesn't sound overly enticing to me. Or, flip side, hey, you must try this cake. It is so good. It's the most moist thing ever. Chocolate, incredible. You think Cadbury's good. You should seriously try this. It's impacted my life. It's so fantastic. Probably the best cake that I've ever tasted. Would you like some? Way more likely to say yes to that, aren't you? Rather than, oh, yeah, i got some leftover cake. It's sitting over there. Do you want it? Yeah? It, there is no cake. I hope there's cake. <laughs> what is someone going to be more drawn to? Sad sack? Life impacted by chocolate cake. <laughs> a life impacted by the revelation of this incredible cake that is too good to describe or the one that is simply trying to offload what they don't seem to be too keen on. I know which way I'd be going. How does our belief look in light of that? How do we present our faith in light of that? How do we present our space in light of that? What we believe in, in Christ and the light and the joy that it brings to us, how are we showing that in everything that we do? Some realities that come out through the scripture today. Maybe you're scared. Maybe we're scared to let Christ take over our life. There's a bit of unknown there. That's sometimes scary. When we read today's scripture, we even see that Christ's own disciples feared what might happen to them if they opened the doors to the room that they were hiding in because of their devotion to Jesus. But they were hiding it. But Jesus appeared to them anyway. And just imagine that moment for a second. You're in a room, the doors are locked, and all of a sudden this dude just pops up like that. Just put that thought into your head. That's, that's pretty incredible in itself, but... All that aside, I reckon that would bring out a little bit of fear anyway. 
But Jesus appeared to them and his words were, quite rightfully so, when you freak people out by appearing in a room, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Of course, the disciples are probably thinking they could be killed as well. So their fear is somewhat understandable in a human sense. But Christ is present and he brings a message of peace. For us to show our faith and to live lives that actually seem to represent the life that Christ offers to us comes with that same assurance of Christ's presence within us and the peace that he offers. And we have to be serious here. In Australia, we are so blessed. We don't face the threat of being killed for our faith in the same way that so many other places do. We can read our Bible and go buy one any day we want. It's available on all the little app stores and stuff for our phones and all sorts. We come to worship freely. So so what's stopping us from worshipping? The church is in decline here, but is surging in places like China and Africa, where persecution for faith is extremely real. Prison sentences, being murdered for your faith, persecution just for believing is something to fear, but instead the church is growing. Why? Maybe it's because they truly understand what it is to rely on God. And that by they need to put faith that despite through their circumstances, God is very real to them. And as such, they experience and understand even the simplest of blessings that God provides them in their very days. You might not get party poppers and blowers every week. You came here today, you sat down on your seats and there wasn't any little gimmicky piece of fun. But there is something that we did all come with today. We all came with hands. We all came with feet. We all came with voices that are God-given that we can use to give back to God in praise, didn't we? It's true. Not just in times of corporate worship, but in our daily worship as a lifestyle. Because worship isn't just the songs we sing on a Sunday. It isn't just the sermon that's presented on the one hour or two hours on a Sunday. It's a lifestyle. They are totally portable as they go with us everywhere we go. Just as a heads up, in case we didn't realize, like, you know, our feet and our hands and our voice and all that, it goes with us. They're very portable. Maybe you have doubts. So this is the other thing that comes out of the scripture today. Because when we read this scripture, we often go straight to the doubting Thomas part. When we, when we talk after Easter and we read through scripture and we get to the part, oh, Thomas doubted. It can be the very easy one to snapshot on and go, oh, we all have doubts. Yes, true. But he wasn't the only one to doubt in this moment as well. If we backtrack in the story, Mary Magdalene, who saw the open tomb, didn't believe until Christ spoke to her in the garden personally. And when Mary went and reported to the other disciples, they didn't believe either and instead locked themselves up in a room. And it was only when Christ appeared to them personally, showing his wounds, that then they in turn believed. Here is the importance of this doubting message. It's not to shame anyone or anything at all. If people can't personally see the reality of a risen Christ in the way that we carry ourselves, then why would they ever believe that for themselves? 
if we aren't presenting Christ with zeal, with passion, with vigor, like an awesome piece of chocolate cake that you can't back away from, talking about the personal impact of Christ on our own lives, then why would anyone else believe in that? And a lot of this will start with impression. We're being watched. It's, it's a world of observation. It's a world of being watched and observed, whether we like it or not. But that's an asset as well, if we're in tune with Christ in our lives. So we must reassess ourselves and what message that we are putting out, non-verbally, how we carry ourselves. Maybe we need to grow in proximity to Christ in our own lives and recommit ourselves to his leading. It saddens me that I've heard over my adult life and probably even heard it a little bit before then, the amount of people tell me or that I've heard it from or even read it in source material, that it was the actions and words of people connected to a church alone or those that professed a faith that it was through those people's actions and words being completely counter to the message that they shared that in turn gave them no hope in what believing it would actually bring to their own lives. And that's sad. We have to face these realities. That if we're sharing this message for ourselves, what does that look like to others and for the hope that Christ could transform their lives? If the message of Easter that we remember right down here now, some 2,000 years later, has not impacted our life in the days after, then we're simply putting Jesus back in the tomb. We're simply putting Jesus back in the tomb. If we aren't impacted by the message of Easter, then we cannot simply assume that others will come to Christ just because we say we believe. I am a Christian. So, what does that mean? I don't know. Doubt is squashed by undeniable evidence. Be that evidence. And let Jesus' sacrifice mean something to your life and to the lives of others that encounter us. If we don't know how to answer that question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Then we've got work to do. What does that look like for us? Jesus did not despise Thomas's doubt or Mary's or the disciples. He offered tangible proof, obvious, undeniable, in their face evidence. Christ is the example for our own lives. So what evidence are we giving to others? We don't know if Thomas took Jesus up on the offer to touch his wounds and see for himself, but what we do know is what it did for Thomas. Thomas responds, my Lord and my God, exclamation mark. If you know anything about grammar, which is not my strong point, that's like, I'm making a statement here. My Lord and my God. And this is one of the strongest declarations of faith recorded in the whole of the New Testament. Perhaps it was enough for Thomas just to know that Jesus cared enough to give him what he needed, that proof, and that Jesus did not despise his doubt. Amen. For us, are we impacted enough by the original message of Easter that is for all time 
We live in a time of remembrance that we would let it impact our lives now. And in that, are we showing in our lives what it means to be saved by grace and loved by God? I, I remember back to year seven, and this is going back for me. I know, woofed, I actually remember something. Um, and my teacher at that time, going to a Christian school, uh, explained to us what grace meant as an acronym. I think that's the right word, you know, when you put the words down. And the concept of grace being God's redemption at Christ's expense. And that stuck with me. God's redemption, his redemptive love for us came at Christ's expense. That's the love that we're given by our God. He loves him so much that he gave up his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. This might be the very evidence that others need as tangible, evidential proof that Jesus does indeed offer something new and exciting for their very life as well. I believe we want a kingdom culture in this place. I know I do. A place that exudes the fruits of the Spirit, and we've talked about those. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Go me. (laughs) Thank you. We want everyone to be growing in proximity to Jesus, to growing in their experience of Jesus in their life, that sense of intimate relationship with him, and becoming Jesus-centered people, using his example for our own lives. We don't want divisions. Let's not let the temple curtain go back up. The temple curtain was torn in two for a reason. We can't afford to get trapped in things like gossip. We can't afford to have apprehension in worship. But instead we need freedom to praise, freedom that was given to us by Christ. No self-centeredness, no hate, no working against, but instead working for God and in turn for others. Because that's what God wants for all of us. So we all have a choice to make, every single one of us. And I wholeheartedly long for everyone here to encounter Christ for themselves and to know what relationship with him feels like. To see lives transformed and communities revolutionized with the love of Christ. And I'll leave you just with this one question. Will you make that personal commitment today? Where are we placing our Jesus? Back in the tomb? or resurrected. Enjoy a celebration of that. Ready to transform each and every one of our lives and in turn, through that impact on us, on others as well. We're going to listen to a song in a moment that we sang on Good Friday last last week called Remembrance. I just encourage you whilst the the words of that song and the song plays through, do you just sit there and act actively, truly? Go to God in prayer and ask him what it is that's holding us back from, if at all, from truly giving ourselves over fully to him and experiencing his workings within our own lives. 
that we would be vessels for his, his message out in the places that we go. Those feet that all of us carried us in on, different speeds, of course, that's okay. We're all different. But the places that we go, that in the impressions that we leave, in the moments and the words that we speak and the conversations that we have, that they would be words and they would come out of a life that's centered around Christ. They would be thinking about in every moment, and I know we've talked about the whole idea of for us as a family going and saying, was that fruity? I know it sounds weird, but the whole concept of just remembering those fruits of the Spirit in us. Letting Christ take control over our lives. Letting Christ be everything that informs our practices and everything that we do. And in turn, we will see the fruits of that labor. I believe it. God will transform lives through us. God will transform this space to a place of comfort and care and love. And we'll see others come to Christ as well.